Malachi 2. Malachi 2, verses 10 to 16. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this morning for your mercy. We come before you by grace alone, in the name of Jesus Christ. Even this morning, as we have focused on your mercy in our singing, and we've asked the question, can my God, His wrath forbear, me the chief of sinners spare? Father, we are an unfaithful people. We are a people who have profaned Your name. And yet in the face of our unfaithfulness, You are a faithful, merciful God. And this morning we raise our voices and we praise You for your faithfulness. We praise you for your mercy. And even this morning as we look to Malachi 2, and once again we see your faithfulness in the, in the face of unfaithfulness, may we be challenged. May your Spirit work in us through your Word. May you mold us into your image. May you challenge us. May you confront the sins that are in our lives challenging us, changing us, working in us for your glory. Truly our desire is that you would be lifted up and honored in this time. Give me boldness to proclaim your truth this morning with authority, with clarity for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Malachi 2, verses 10 to 16. We read the passage earlier. As we introduce this passage, I kind of want to start by, by asking a question, describing a man. So, so follow me along here. I want you to imagine with me a man who is faithful. He's faithful in his church attendance. Every time the doors are open, this man is here with his family. In fact, not only is he faithful to attend church, he's faithful to serve in church. Maybe he's even a Sunday school teacher. He makes sure his family is here, they're in Sunday school, they have the books that they need, they're dressed appropriately, they're in, in their classes on time. He's faithful to study, he's faithful to teach, he's faithful to be here. Not only is he faithful here at church, he's faithful at work. He can be counted on. He always shows up on time. He gets the work done that he, he needs to get done, and he does a good job with it. But let's imagine that, that despite all this man's faithfulness in all his, his public life, he's unfaithful in his marriage. He's unfaithful to his wife. He's unfaithful as a father to his kids. 
And I would ask you this morning, would you describe that man as a faithful man? He's faithful in everything publicly. He's faithful in church. He's faithful at work. But he's unfaithful to his family. Would you describe him as a faithful man? I think the answer that we would all give is no. The unfaithfulness in his marriage betrays the unfaithfulness in his heart. It doesn't matter what he does publicly. He's an unfaithful man. As we turn to Malachi 2 this morning, that is what we see here. As God confronts his people, as we've been working through Malachi, in the end of chapter 1, we saw their polluted sacrifices. In the beginning of chapter 2, we saw the polluted priests. As we come to the end of chapter 2, we see the polluted people. They are unfaithful. And specifically, he points to their relationships. As we work our way through this, we'll see first their identity, their idolatry, and their infidelity. And underneath this entire passage is their hypocrisy. There's several times where he will stop and and Malachi will mention the fact that that the Lord is not hearing you. He's not not taking, he's not paying attention to your offerings because your your unfaithfulness, and, and yet you try to bring these offerings still. You try to look good in front of everyone, and yet you are unfaithful. And he will not hear you. Your hypocrisy, he hates. first thing we see in verse 10 is their identity. Malachi 2, 10 starts with this, Have we not all one Father? You may remember in verse 6 of chapter 1, Malachi describes, or God is talking here, and he says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And we looked at that passage and we talked about how God was uniquely the father of Israel. They had a unique relationship with God. He had called them out. He had called them apart. He had set them apart. They were His people. He was their father. Malachi starts with this question, don't we all have the same father? He's talking to his people, to to the the Israelites, and he's saying, we have a unique relationship with God. He's our Father. In the second statement, he broadens it a little bit and and kind of goes to all humanity. Not not only are we uniquely connected, do do we have a unique relationship to God as his people, but has not one God created us? We have that in common with the whole world. We have one Father who has called us. We have one God who has created us. Now it leads him to this question then. Why do we deal treacherously with one another? If there's one God who has called us, as His people, Israel, He has set us apart. He has given us a purpose. He has given us a name. He has called us. He's our Father. And not only that, but He's the one who created us. He's our God. So if we have all this in common, why do we deal treacherously with one another? 
or treacherously carries the idea of, of betraying the trust of someone who has reason to trust you. Of being unfaithful. Why do we betray each other? Why are we unfaithful with one another? He goes on to describe specifically how they betray each other. By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Profane is to show no regard for. To take that which is lofty, that which is high, and to drag it down into the mud. To strip it of all value. To treat it as nothing. We, we, we profane the covenant of the fathers. Specifically in mind, here's the covenant at Sinai. This is what we'll see in this passage. You may remember specifically the covenant at Sinai. The Ten Commandments are in there. And the Ten Commandments, if you remember, the first four commandments deal with what? Their relationship to God. The last six deal with their relationship to each other. And that's exactly what we'll see as you work our way through this passage. And in the first section here, verse 11 to 12, he looks at idolatry. You profaned this covenant. You've been unfaithful to God. You've been unfaithful to each other. As you work your way through here, the two examples he gives are foreign marriage and divorce. Foreign marriage, which puts the entire community at risk. And divorce, which puts the family at risk. Something else that's interesting to notice here in verse 10 is how Malachi includes himself and all the people in this rebuke. Have we not all Father? Has not God created us? Why do we deal treacherously? As he gets into verse 11, Specifically, he, he kind of changes it, 11 and 12, specifically to the man who has done this. He has married the man who does this. Verse 13, you do, you cover. But I think the message is clear in verse 10 that, that they, as a community, they are all guilty of this. Even if I haven't done this, even if, if, if Malachi himself has not been unfaithful to his wife, if he has not engaged in these foreign marriages and divorced his first, first wife, he is complicit in this because he has allowed this. The community has allowed it to happen. Similar to what we see in 1 Corinthians 5, the first two verses, as, as Paul calls out this Corinthian church. And he says, there's this sexual immorality in your midst. Deal with it. Don't you understand that you are guilty in this by, by not dealing with it? It's the same idea we see here. They are all guilty because they have accepted it. They've profaned the covenant of the Father. So Malachi starts here with this identity. Don't you know who you are? You are God's people. You've been created by the hand of God. This is who you are. So then why do you deal this way with each other? Secondly, we see idolatry. 
these foreign marriages. As you come to the end of verse 10, the condemnation is clear. You are unfaithful. This is who you are. This is what you've been called to. And this is what you've done. You're unfaithful. And this is how you've done it. Verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously. Judah is the southern tribe who's returned from captivity. He's speaking here of, uh, he's using it as, as all of Israel. He's not calling out just this one tribe, but they're representing the entire people. You, as Israel, have dealt treacherously. You betrayed trust. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. An abomination, this, this, this unfaithfulness is not just a, a little tiny incident of unfaithfulness. It's an abomination. It is something that is morally disgusting. This abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, in the center of, of, of Israelite worship and life. For Judah, for you, for, for the people of God who have been called apart for Israel has profaned the Lord's holy institution which He loves. Profaned the Lord's holiness which He loves. The word their institution is added by the translators to, to help give clarity I think it actually kind of leads us a little bit astray. The idea there is the Lord's holiness, His sanctuary, that which is consecrated. You have profaned the Lord's holiness, that which has been set apart. What's interesting there is the, the combination of the word profaned and holy. You have dragged down, made of no value, that which is of great value. I believe the, this, this holiness to which he's referring, this which has been consecrated, which has been sanctified, which has been set aside, is a reference to the nation itself. You've done this to yourselves. I called you. I set you apart. And you've dragged yourselves down. You've made yourselves of, of no worth. The Lord's holiness which he loves takes us back to the beginning of the book chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 where, where the people say how have you loved us God they call unto question his, his love for them and, and how does he respond do you remember he says I love you I do love you I have called you I have set you apart I have caused you to flourish Here again, he reminds them of that. You have dragged yourselves down. I have loved you. And how have you done this? He has married the daughter of a foreign god. As the people of Israel are uniquely God's people, and He is their Father, for they worship Him and have a unique relationship with Him, so these foreigners who worship these foreign gods are called the daughter of a foreign god. 
God is their father, and they've married women who worship other gods. You may ask, well, what would drive them to do this? Why would they directly disobey God in this way? There's many reasons. It could have been for economic prosperity. It could have been for a peace treaty. Whatever it is, they are putting that thing in the place of where God should be. They've chosen peace. They've chosen economic prosperity. They've chosen pleasure. Whatever it is, they've chosen that over obedience. They've chosen that over what God has commanded them. They've been idolaters. And what's interesting, what we see here in Malachi and in many of the other prophets is in choosing that over God, they've actually lost it all. They're not prospering. They don't have peace. You've ignored me. You've been unfaithful to me, unfaithful to each other, and now you're dealing with the consequences. That's what we see in verse 12, the consequences. Malachi calls this man out. This man who's married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob. That's another reference there to Israel. The tents of Jacob. May the Lord cut him off. May he lose his position in the nation. May he lose his blessing. Even extremely, even be put to death. May he be cut off. Done away with. From the tents of Jacob. The man who does this who does this this wicked thing, who marries the daughter of a foreign god. Being awake and aware. It's an, it, that phrase is an idiom. It means anybody, whoever he may be. No matter how high he may be or how low he may be. Anybody, everybody, regardless of who you are, if you do this, may you be cut off. For you have been unfaithful. For you have betrayed the trust. God. Here we see a hint of that hypocrisy, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You do this thing. You've shown no regard for God. You've ignored what He's commanded. You've gone out. You've married this woman of a foreign God. And then you are bold enough to bring an offering before God. You ignore God, and yet you, you continue to, to just expect the mercy of God. He's, he's, he's going to forgive me, so it doesn't matter. The sins of an unrepentant heart cannot be covered by the blood of a half-hearted sacrifice. If there's anything that we have seen in Malachi... In the first two chapters, it's the importance of pure worship from a repented heart. It's not about outwardly what you do. It's about your heart inwardly. So we see here again. You bring this offering repeatedly again and again, and yet you show no repentance. You don't care. 
The Lord does not accept that kind of an offering. They're idolatrous. They've dealt treacherously with God. They've been unfaithful to God. The second way they've they've done this, the third point, is infidelity. They've been unfaithful to God. They've been unfaithful to each other. Verse 13 starts with this phrase, and this is the second thing you do. The first is foreign marriage. The second is this divorce. The wife of your youth. And these things might be connected. It might be that they are divorcing their first wife, their Israelite wife, and they're going after these foreign wives. But it doesn't have to be connected. It could just be generally, you're, you're divorcing these, these women, you're, you're profaning this covenant of marriage, and you're going after these women. So what we'll see as we work our way through this passage. But before he gets to this second thing, he mentions it here, but then he, he gets to this phrase at the end of verse 13. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. You come before the Lord and you, and you bow down and you, you weep and you cry and you make a big public show. They want the blessings of God, but not the expectations. And they bow down and they cry and, and they, 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 they say the right things. And then they go home and they live however they want. They go home and they ignore him. This hypocrisy is disgusting to God. It's an abomination. And so we see his response here at the end of verse 13. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. God's response to their treachery is to ignore them. He has turned away from them. He does not regard them. They sense this. They know this. And so here in verse 14, they respond. You say, for what reason? Again, this is the pattern of Malachi. This is what we've seen all throughout. God says something and they respond with a question. He says, I love you at the beginning. They say, how do you love us? And here we come to verse 14 of chapter 2. You say, for what reason? This is the third question that we've come to. Why won't you accept our offerings? And God answers. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, unfaithfully, with whom you've betrayed. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. The Lord has been witness. He's been witness to this covenant. This covenant of marriage. The ESV Study Bible notes that marriage is more than a contract, a two-way relationship between husband and wife. But it's a covenant it's a three-way, a three-way relationship in which the couple is accountable not just to each other, but to God. 
We don't have any examples of what a marriage vow or a wedding looked like at this time. But we know it involves something to do with God. In some way, God was a witness to this, and they called him to be a witness, and God stands up as that witness, and he says, I will not let you get away with this. I am a witness. I have seen this. I saw what you said at that altar. And now I see your treachery. He has witnessed that. And the consequence of that is that he has removed himself from them. He will not hear them. He will not accept their offerings. The Lord has been witness. He has seen their unfaithfulness between you and the wife of your youth, your first, your primary wife, with whom you have dealt treacherously. You've been unfaithful. You've betrayed her. The very one who, who, who should have every reason to trust in you. You've betrayed her trust. You've betrayed her trust, yet, yet she is your companion. She's your, your partner permanently. Your wife, by covenant, marriage is a serious matter. You made a covenant before God himself, and now he stands up as witness. I take this seriously. This is a big deal. Verse 15, Malachi then describes marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Why is this such a big deal? But did he not make them one? Notice in that first phrase, it is God, it is his doing. He is the one who has brought them together. He is the one who has made them one. We see that in Genesis 2, 24, as God brings the man and the woman together. And they separate from father and mother. They are now one. They are unique in this relationship. Ties in with even Matthew 19, we have the passage of divorce. And yet leading into that, what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, what God has brought together, let not man tear apart. God has brought them together. It is he who has made them one. Did he not make them one? This next phrase is interesting. It's difficult to understand. Um, but the principle that he's getting out is, is obvious here. Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? As God was at creation, as he was moving, as the Spirit was, was moving, he could have created as many wives for Adam as he wanted. After creating Eve, he didn't have to stop there. He wasn't out of creation power at that point. The Spirit was not done moving at that point. He, he could have continued to create he could have created two, three, four wives for Adam. He was not limited by his power. But he stopped. He created one man and one woman. And that is his purpose. 
There's a reason why he created one man and one woman. He made them one. This is not Malachi's idea. This is not the prophets of old that have sat down and said, you know what, let's limit it to one man and one woman. This is God's idea. It is God who has created them. It is God who has brought them together. Malachi then asked this question, and why one? If God has done this, let's think through this. Why has God done this? Malachi gives one specific reason. He seeks godly offspring. I think there's some parenting advice in that. It doesn't say he expects athletic offspring. He expects good offspring. It says he expects godly offspring. The goal of parenting is not to make a good kid. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ to make godly offspring. And I think it's very clear from this passage that the recipe for raising godly children starts with one man and one woman. I think what Malachi is getting at here is, is as your, your unfaithfulness to God in marrying foreign wives, is that puts the nation at risk because you're bringing idolatry in. So here, when you divorce your wife, when you tear apart this family that God has put together, you're putting the family at risk. Therefore, and notice this, notice the order here. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with his wife. Let none be faithless to his wife. Let none betray his wife. The wife of his youth, his first, his only wife. Notice this, that the first step toward faithfulness is to guard your spirit. Guard yourself. Take heed to your spirit. Be aware. Take heed. Guard yourself so that you do not go this way. Recognize what God has done in marriage. Recognize the importance the, the, of marriage. Recognize that. Understand that. Guard your spirit so that you do not betray that. Having described the purpose of marriage, what marriage is in verse 15 and verse 16, he returns to the people. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Again, this is a difficult passage to, to understand. It's a difficult passage to translate as I understand it. The ESV and the NIV actually approach this in a little bit of a different light, which, which I actually prefer. In verse 16, they see the he as the man who divorces his wife and not as God. And so it reads this way in the ESV, For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. The NIV puts it this way, The man who hates and divorces his wife, 
says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one who, should, who he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. I prefer that reading because I, I, I think understanding it that way ties it in with Deuteronomy 24 and with Matthew 19. It gives consistency with the teaching of Scripture on divorce. When you understand the he in this verse as the, the man who hates his wife, that's the same language used in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 5. In Deuteronomy 24, God allows divorce. And it's allowed for this reason. It's the language of, of hatred when there's something that comes up. In Matthew 19, what we see is that yes, God has allowed it, but it was because of the hardness of your hearts. That was not God's plan. That's not God's purpose. In fact, in fact, divorce is a perversion of God's plan of marriage. And so taking all that together, when you look at Deuteronomy 24 and then here at, at Malachi 2.16 and then Matthew 19, what you see is this. That yes, in Deuteronomy 24, God allowed divorce. He allowed it if, you, if you, you hate your wife, if something has come up. And yet what he says here is this. That the man who does not love his wife, the man that hates his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence. Yes, I allowed it. It doesn't mean I approve of it. It's allowed because of the hardness of your heart, but it's a perversion of what I have planned. It comes with consequences. It's an abomination to God. And whether you see the he here as a reference to God or to the man who hates his wife, the idea is the same. The idea is that God does hate divorce. It, it, it is not his plan. It is man's perversion of God's institution. The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. He betrays her. It's his responsibility to love her, to care for her, to protect her, and yet he does violence to her. He does violence to his family. He does violence to the people because of his unfaithfulness. Verse 16 ends with the same phrase that verse 15 ends with. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously, that you do not be unfaithful. Know this. Know that this is not my plan. Know that to me, this is an abomination. That to me, this divorce is a perversion of what God has intended. Know that. And knowing that, then, take heed to your spirit. Be aware. And do not do it. Do whatever you can to avoid it. So as we come to the end of this passage, I think the application is clear 
Be faithful. Be faithful. It's two specific things that come to my mind as I look at this passage, as I study this passage, and the first is this. At the beginning of this passage, Malachi includes himself, we have done this. Even if I haven't been the one to divorce my wife, even if I haven't been the one to marry these foreign wives, we are all complicit in this. So I think the question for us this morning is, what are we complicit in? What are our blind spots? What sins do we overlook? As Jerry Bridges puts it, what are respectable sins that are in our midst? What have we allowed to go under the radar? What do we not deal with? What do we make excuses for in ourselves and in, and in us as a body? We're the people of God. We're His church. We're all to a regular Baptist church, a local church that's been called together in this area. And what sins do we here overlook? I'm not even talking in, in big picture in the worldwide church. Right here. What do we overlook? What do we get away with? We must search our own hearts. We must be brutally honest with ourselves and with each other. Secondly, there's a reason why God, in calling them out for their unfaithfulness, looks to their relationships. And I would ask you this question this morning, what does your relationships with others say about your relationship to God? Your relationships with those closest to you is often a snapshot of your relationship with God. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, when, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says this, love God and love others. The passage is more of a description than a command because the one who loves God will love others. So we see here in Malachi 2. By not loving others, they're showing that they don't love God. It's hypocrisy for them to, to not love each other, to profane each other, and then to come to God and to pretend to worship like they actually care about what He says when they've shown in their relationships that they don't. What do our relationships say about our relationship to God? Do we love each other? Do we care for each other? What about your marriage specifically? Would your wife, would your husband say they love God? It doesn't matter what you look like here. It doesn't matter what the person sitting in the row in front of you would say. What would your spouse say? Are you unfaithful? I think by way of application, one thing we see right here in verse 15, the end of verse 15 is this. Guard your marriage by guarding your heart. Start there. Maybe you'd say, 
I know I need to get better. Start by guarding your heart. Guard your heart. Be faithful. That's what this passage is this morning. It's a call to return to faithfulness. God is pointing out what they have done wrong. You've been unfaithful to me. You've been unfaithful to each other. And yet, how does the passage end? It ends with this. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Take note of this. I've warned you. I've called you out. Now take heed. Listen. Be aware that you do not do this. Change. Fits perfect with our theme for this morning, the mercy of God. This passage is all about the unfaithfulness of his people, and yet it ends with the mercy of God. It ends with hope. It ends with a chance to return, to take heed, to listen. God would be just to just wipe them out and start over at this point. And yet he calls them to repentance. He calls them to take heed, to change. I think that call is the same to us this morning. Take heed of your heart. Don't think about the person in front of you or the person beside you. Think about yourself. Be honest with yourself. Be brutally honest with yourself. No one else is in your head. It's just you. Be honest with yourself. Are you unfaithful to God? Have you profaned Him? What do your relationships say? You know your heart. You know your mind. I would call you this morning to return, to take heed of your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Love one another. Because you love God. We're going to close with the song Mercies Anew. It's an appropriate song as we sing these verses in verse 1 every morning that breaks our new mercies. Every breath is your faithfulness proved. Verse 2, in the face of my sin, you never withdrew. Despite my unfaithfulness, you are a faithful God. He did not abandon his people despite their unfaithfulness, and he will not abandon us. Verse 3, even in the struggles and pain of life, your mercy is new. It triumphs every morning. It triumphs over our unfaithfulness. And as we're singing this song, if God has has worked on you this morning, I would call you to respond. Maybe that looks like getting down at your seat, bowing at your knees, and praying. Maybe that means grabbing your spouse and going out and finding an office or a room and praying. Maybe that means coming to the front and kneeling here and praying or grabbing me and I would love to take you out and pray with you. 
Whatever it looks like. If God is working on you through his word this morning, respond. You need that.